Vucic gonna look like this year? Whoa! I think of all the education that I miss, but then I never had a podcast quite like this. Whoa, got it bad. So yeah, my wife got me this for my birthday when we were so broke, we weren't filling the cars up all the way. And to this day, I still don't know how she managed to save $1,200 to buy this for me. Wow. Um, she presented this to me. I don't remember which birthday it was, um, but that's not important. Uh, I got home and she was wearing this beautiful white dress and uh, had a steak dinner on the table with green bean casserole, which is my favorite. And then there was a big box sitting by the table and I, I pulled this out of it and I was speechless. Um, when she went to the guitar store, she said, I'll have that one. And the guy at the guitar store said, well, that's pretty specialized. Are you sure that's what your husband wants? And she goes, I'll have that one. I think it'll be okay. <laughs> Very nice. I bet yeah. you weren't emotionless on that one, were you? I'm telling you what. So, so I'm not super big on gifts, right? Because gifts are real easy to buy somebody something. You know what I mean? But a gift that has that much thought behind it just renders me speechless, you know, absolutely speechless. Best gift I've ever gotten, aside from her me, herself, obviously. Right. Yeah, of course. Well, let me, let me kick this thing off. Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast. Tonight we have a full house. You have me, your host, Dave, Leo, Huggy. This is where you say hello. Okay, and he's frozen. And we have a distinguished guest tonight. We have Steve Anderson from That Shooting Show. Say hello, Steve. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate that a bunch. I may have already known by the uh, guitar playing that was at the very beginning of the show. All right, so Steve, what we normally do is we ask you um, five questions to get to know Steve. They're personal. They're not about, well, one of them might be considered part of shooting. Number one, what's your favorite movie? Oh, geez. <laughs> All right. So that, that same would, reaction we always get. That would be a toss up probably between Tombstone and Matrix One. Um, oh. if if I had to pick that's so tough. So if you remember in Matrix One, it starts out, you're not really sure what's going on. We don't know much about the premise. When Trinity goes flying through the window and falls down the stairs backwards and comes up with those two Berettas. Yep. I was like, mm -hmm. it was almost like seeing Daisy Duke for the first time. It was like, I don't know what that is, but I want more of it. You know? <laughs> and then, All it, right. Whatever she had, yeah. I want it. And then, of course, okay. and of course, Tombstone is how we would want to conduct ourselves if we were in a town and that was going on. So it's like, that's what I would want to do. Right. And there, when, when, when he goes, you tell him hell's coming, you tell him I'm coming and hell's coming with me, you know, isn't that what, isn't that what we'd want to do in that environment? So tombstone matrix. All right. I like it. Good answers. All right. Number two, your favorite book. Oh, geez. So I read a lot of Stephen King growing up. And Stephen King was forbidden. Like, if, if you remember the Waterboy, where uh, Adam Sandler's mom 
Kathy Griffin. No, it's not Kathy Griffin. It doesn't matter. Kathy, Kathy something. Yeah. Everything's the devil. This is the devil. That's the devil. So, Foosball yeah, my mom, Stephen King is the devil. And I, it, it, it's hard to pick one. But what's cool is my parents were separated and they had the parental meeting about Steve reading Stephen King books. And my dad decided that he was going to read them with me uh, to kind of screen him for content and know and know what I was getting into. And he and I started having little book clubs about Stephen King books. And it probably was Christine, the one about the car um, that, that he and I really, really connected on. Um, so favorite book, probably Stephen King's Christine. I, I just love that book. Favorite series of books is all the Jack Reacher books. Um, okay. All those Jack Reacher books are so phenomenal. He's drifting through, solves the problem, kills all the bad guys, gets the girl, repeat, repeat, repeat. You know, for the same reasons we like Tombstone, you know. Well, that explains why you made a point to say you saw Stephen King's house. Mm-hmm. Okay. In, now, in, now it makes sense. In in Bangor, Maine, and you have to say Bangor, not Banger. That's how they know you're from out of town. Or if you say snowmobile instead of snow machine, they know you're from out of town. Mm-hmm. But yep. Bangor, Maine, everybody there knows where Stephen King's house is. And he actually carved his tree to be a Halloween decoration. And then every now and then they'll, they'll hang a red balloon in the window, you know, just to mess with you. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I grew up reading Stephen King books. Okay. Favorite historical figure. Wow. Define historical figure. Anybody throughout history. I'm not I'm not real big on history. I don't I don't know a lot about it. Um I'm I'm pretty close to Donald Trump to be perfectly honest with you. Um Reagan might be I don't know enough about Reagan to endorse everything he did, but what I think I know about Reagan from Rush Limbaugh makes him pretty spectacular. Um he's got some phenomenal quotes um about the role yeah. of government and what government is supposed to be doing. Like government was never meant to do all the things it's taken on never in a million years. But when, when government starts becoming kind of a self serving thing, which I was totally where we're at. Um, so I would go Reagan, Donald Trump second. I, I love the idea of looking at the country's problems and solving them from a businessman perspective with pretty logical solutions. Um, both parties, I think, are interested in running on the problem instead of solving the problem. And totally agree. We, we've, and of yep. course, the Republicans would rather lose and stay elected than they would solve any problems. So, Ronald Reagan was the first president I ever voted for. That's awesome. Yeah. See, nineteen-eighty-four. So I first became aware of politics when Bill Clinton was running and he went on Saturday night, he went on Saturday night live and played his saxophone. And I thought that's the coolest guy in the world. And then my mom pulled me aside and said, maybe not. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, it's kind of like one of those moments when you, when you get your first check and you're like, who the heck is FICA and why is he getting all my money? You know, it's, right. and, and you, you know, you're at that time I was selling guitars, um, and you know you see you see that that hit that your taxes take, 
And you're like, whoa, 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 what happened to my six bucks an hour? You know, well, thank you very much, government. And I don't care. I'm willing to pay taxes for, for a good reason, but we waste so much money in this country. So that's why that I'm is so true. Okay. Favorite gun and caliber, but they don't necessarily have to go in hand in hand. Hmm. Well, for sheer versatility, I don't think you can beat the nine millimeter. Um, I agree. I, I just don't think there's another cartridge. It's, it's kind of like the, like the Glock of, of calibers. It's like the Glock 19 of calibers. There may it's be the a 308 of pistol rounds. Sure. I mean, it just, it does everything well. Um, favorite gun, man, I have a Beretta 87 T. Uh, I have two of them. I have one with iron sights and one with a dot and it, it, it's a, it's a 22 caliber action target pistol. And I probably have a combined, I don't even know how many rounds through those guns, but my, my Beretta 87 T's single action 22 um it's like these things shoot themselves um but i also have a new bull open gun that i love qu quite a lot and then of course there's my old caspian that i used it was 10 years old when i got it out of date when i got it out of style when i got it and that thing's had three barrels and two slides and i learned how to shoot open on that gun and i, I just love it do I have okay. to pick one favorite? No, I don't think so. Man. I mean, you, you said Beretta, so Ernest Langdon's happy. Do you want to see the 87T? Sure. All right. Please and, All right, please and thank you. This is going to be a fun episode. <laughs> yeah, We tend to play fast and loose with the uh, definitions of things. You know, favorite. <clears throat> So when I started shooting open, um, this was my, my open training gun. Um, so typically it would have also a, a muzzle weight that would go right here, but you have to take that off to get the slide off to clean it. So I just leave them off. It doesn't add much weight. Um, obviously it's got the old school Seymour single action gun. You can see she's, she's empty. And uh, what I did when I started shooting open it wasn't so much the expense that I cared about, but it was the time spent reloading ammo. Cause every time you pull the trigger, you got to pull the handle. And at that time you could get a brick of 22 for like 10 bucks and you could shoot 500 rounds for 10 bucks, not pick up your brass. Um, and outside of drawing from the holster, I could practice anything with this gun and I couldn't even speculate how many thousands of rounds it's had through it. Um, couldn't even tell you and I and I have a twin uh with with just the iron sights that uh whenever I wanted to shoot iron sights and shoot a bunch I would shoot these two guns in my bread 87ts so how old is that pistol oh, let's see I got robbed in my I I probably already had this gun in the year 2000 or thereabouts, because because my 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 frame of reference is is Y two K when everybody thought they're you know the end of the world was going to come, and right. I probably already had this then. So it's at least I've had it for at least twenty years. Let's just put it that way. Okay. It's in really great shape. I mean, it still looks brand new, but 
It's it's had thousands upon thousands, and I I don't maybe ten malfunctions. I mean, malfunctions incredibly rare with the, with these guns. And, and those, what's the caliber you know, of that one? This is a twenty-two. Oh, okay. Um, that 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 was the whole thing was um, I wanted to be able to practice dot shooting without having to reload a bunch of ammo. Right, so, and you did say that was your practice training gun. Yeah. So. If I had to pick one, man, I, I I can do some magical things with this gun. Pretty cool. That is cool. Fewer malfunctions in white. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, so our last question is favorite band, and I've heard it's The Who. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Won't get fooled again. <laughs> exactly. Boom. Yeah, yeah right won't, there. Won't get fooled again. New boss, same <laughs> you, as the old boss. You know, it's funny you say that, Steve, because yesterday uh, I had to drive in the middle of work. I had to go from one side of the county where I work to the other as a firefighter. I got moved from one station to another to fill a hole. And what was I listening to but Spotify and Van Halen? And what did they do? They covered, they said, here's a tribute. It was um, Sammy Hagar said, here's a tribute to The Who. It was Van Halen. And they played Won't Get Fooled Again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can go on YouTube and find a video. I don't know if it's the same version you heard, but there's a video of them doing that song inside 5150. Um, and I think I've seen that. And just to give you some idea of, you know, not, not everybody knows about this. Most people know about that, but not everybody knows about that. Um, there's just no... like. So what happened was there was there was no rock music allowed in my house. Remember, because rock music is the devil. And when I'd go to school, I'd see people wearing T-shirts. And then I would go to the record store and buy the cassettes that were on those T-shirts. Right. So, yes, Pink Floyd, um, Black Sabbath. And the problem with Black Sabbath was it was depressing. And I didn't want to be depressed. Right. My, my parents had split up. I was already depressed enough. But... My mom must have thrown away four copies of Van Halen 1. Do you know why? Running with the Devil is the first song. Yeah. Gone. But Van Halen 2 didn't have any devil references to it, right? So I, I wore out Van Halen 2. And Van Halen 2 is one of the really great good mood, right? You've got Bottoms Up. You've got Beautiful Girls. Uh, you got Dance the Night Away. It's all really happy, fun songs. So this is great. Now I can listen to aggressive music, but it's not depressing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I could go on. Now, my, my question, and this is not to date anyone that is older than me on the show, because everybody is. Was this <laughs> how you rewound your tape? Yeah. <laughs> just checking. Yes. I, just wanna, I, I had to do it, too. I mean, you know, just, just curiosity question. I just for, just for the record, you have a pencil in your hand. Yeah. Okay. It deserves a pencil sharpener. So look, look at the other gift my wife gave me. Um, I haven't I haven't had a chance to use it yet, but she got me this. Oh, the cassette! Wow. Yes, one of these to go with it. Oh wow! Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Walkman. I love my wife. Right now, your wife is putting my wife to shame. She is an extremely thoughtful gift giver. Um, and I honestly don't remember the occasion, whatever the last gift giving occasion was that we had. Um, but I've just been so busy. I haven't. Hope it wasn't Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> I'd have to ask her. 
probably probably was Christmas. Probably was. Okay. Yeah, mm. she's just she's so incredibly thoughtful. Um, if you if you know about love languages, there's this theory about love language. Everybody has their own. So mine is acts of service. Yep. So for me, when I go run the tiller for her garden for three hours and chicken poop, that's like ten thousand I love yous. Um, whereas for her, gift giving is is the love language. You know, it makes her feel really really good. Okay. Hmm. Smart. And what's tricky is if, if people have two different languages, right? So mine is acts of service. So I, so like when she gets up early to, to let me sleep in and take care of the dogs, that's like a thousand gifts because that's something that she sacrificed to do, right? Whereas with me, I, I could go to the store and buy her something, may not reflect a lot of thought, but if I'm willing to go in the garden and work for three hours, that's, that's like half a million I love yous because I don't like to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Mine's taking out the mm -hmm. trash. Straight up, she gets it. She's. I want you to want to take the trash out, and I say, "What sane person wants to take the trash out? It's the worst." But when I do, and she doesn't have to tell me, whew, I'm set. Yeah, we have a, we have a tenth of a mile gravel driveway, so taking the trash to the end of the street is a whole different deal for us. Yeah. And you may notice that dragging an empty trash can down a gravel road sounds a whole lot like the Hopper Teacher intro. Just, just so you know. And a, a two-cylinder John Deere tractor, when it fires up, also sounds like Hopper Teacher. Wonderful. So those things keep you motivated. Love it. All right. So I, I went on YouTube, and I was watching you play Celebration by Cool and the Gang with Slam Circus. Mm-hmm. And that, that was not emotionless either, uh, um, I'll have you say. My other question is, so what, what made you decide to take your shirt off and throw it in the audience? That, that wasn't me. <laughs> I know. I'm forbidden from doing that because uh, <laughs> I did that once. We were playing the Arosa Villa in Columbus, Ohio, which if you're a Pantera fan at all, that's where Dimebag got shot. Okay. Oh. So I used to play in the exact spot where Dimebag got shot in the Arosa Villa. And me and the singer got this crazy notion to take our shirts off because that's kind of a rock star thing to do. We did not have rock star bods. And so we got done with that show. Because, you know, when you're... I wasn't super chubby, but it wasn't that great. Um, and my drummer, who is the arbiter of what's cool in rock and roll, he, he looked at me and he said, never again. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have that yeah. person. That's, that's the good enough mm -hmm. friend to tell you when you've mm -hmm. made a mistake. Never again. Now, you, usually yeah. that's Dave for us. <laughs> you did, that you is did true. sound good playing a um, bunch of hippies having a party. So we almost got a record okay. deal. On, we, we were offered a record deal on that song. And really? That song was sort of an end of the night novelty, kind of a throwaway song. But the record companies we were talking to loved it. And the problem with putting out a novelty song as your first single is that they ain't going to take you seriously after that. And they're, mm. they're going to pigeonhole you, right? So if you, if you look at Jackal's Chainsaw song, you know, I'm your lumberjack, baby, bing, 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 bing. How many other Jackal songs do you know? Exactly. Good point. Good point. If you look at 
there's a band called uh, I think it's Ugly Kid Joe had I Hate Everything About You. Yes. I hate how many oh, other how many other Ugly Kid Joe songs do you know? Right. So mm-hmm. when you're when your yeah. first song's a novelty song, you're done. You're you're Weird Al Yankovic or you're done. One of the two. You know. Leo has no idea how who Weird Al Yankovic is. Oh, okay. oh I do. And I will say this. He does make of a lot of money. Of course he does. But but you would never buy an album of serious material from the guy, you know. Uh, I mean now, uh challenge accepted, I'm gonna have to play that at my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you did promise one time on your podcast, Steve, that you were going to play Turn Up the Radio by Autograph. I think we did. Oh, I think we did. did several times. And I think we even had a lyric writing uh, contest with that song. Uh, it was going to be Donuts and Radios. We we're going to turn it into to, to a law enforcement tribute song. Donuts and radios. And a guy named Bill Dolan who is a great friend of mine, actually rewrote the whole song as a law enforcement tribute called Donuts and Radios. I don't know how I missed it. I've listened to, I swore I listened to every one of your episodes since probably October of 2018. So I don't know how I missed it. So we'll we'll get a hold of Jay Beal and we'll ask Jay Beal when that happened because he's okay. one of two unofficial podcast historians. He's the encyclopedia. Actually, Glenn Weeks in New Jersey started from the very beginning um and then he knows most of them and then jay knows a bunch of them and of course bill dolan knows a bunch of them as well we used to have a lot of fun with music it's just i, I can't risk it shut down for a copyright violation i, I can't risk it right Fair. if i get a and cease and desist is... and lose seven years of back catalog it, that's not good yeah. for me that's not good so how's the pod family we're doing great um haley's off off with her bio dad this weekend uh, Mrs. Anderson is downstairs enjoying her first glass of wine. Um, the Danes are doing great. The, do- the little Dobie's doing great. We're doing great. Awesome. It's almost like after listening to you for so long, it's like you're a part of the family. You know so much about everybody. So that that's interesting. Um, Erica would prefer to keep a lot of that stuff a little bit more private, but she understands that I don't do it on purpose. Um, I literally turn the mic on and start talking. And it's it's funny because when I go stay with people, a lot of times for classes, I'll give them the option of hosting me in their home. And they always say, I, I feel like I know you. You know, we know, you know, we know about the cold sleeping room. We know about the black coffee in the morning. We know about the IPAs. We've got everything ready to go. The emergency, all of it. Yep, all of it. Yeah. And, and that was that was never by design. Like, I, I never sat around and said, I'm going to tell people that my, my electrical panel went out. It's just when that's what's happening, that's that's what comes that's out. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, when you're trying to do a podcast and they're doing work around you, mm-hmm. it's going to come out. And, I get and, it. And I got that from, from Rush Limbaugh because Rush never tried to hide the goings-on behind the scenes. He'd tell you about his cat and... I was, I was, hey, let's hear about Rush Limbaugh's cat. You know, I thought it was cool. Just makes you feel like you know him a little better. You know, because you imagine Rush Rush Limbaugh, he's made of money, but he's got some kind of a cat problem, just like a normal human being would have, you know. (laughs) I think if you have a cat, you got a cat problem. Yeah. 
I think cat problems are easy to solve. Just get rid of the cat. But I'm more of a dog guy, you know. So <laughs> smart. Well, and so, then think about what, it. What's what's the greatest compliment you can give a cat? Think about it, Leo. When somebody says, "Oh, if you don't like cats, wait till you meet this cat. This cat is so wonderful." And what's the compliment that they give it? This cat is so wonderful, it acts just like a dog. And like, I know, let's skip the cat and go straight to the dog. (laughs) That is very true. the nicest thing you can say about a cat. It's just like seafood. What's the nicest thing you can say about seafood? Doesn't taste like fish. Well, if that's the goal, let's have a hamburger. That doesn't taste like fish. (laughs) Zero risk of it tasting like fish. Zero. (laughs) (laughs) That is very, that that is absolutely accurate. My, my... My former mother-in-law said that. Oh, this cat's not like a cat. It's like a dog. Well, then get a dog. That's exactly right. Just don't make no sense. So I see on your shirt you've got Garrett John on there. Um, and I noticed you didn't go to South Africa this year. Is that just because of uh, the corona? Part of it. And I think I've met and or trained anybody in South Africa that wants to meet and or train with me. Um, okay. And their their economy is tricky. Um, everybody, I, the the custom over there is everybody gets paid once a month as a, as kind of standard, um, as opposed to weekly oh. or biweekly. And it doesn't take much in their economy to make a shooting class no longer an option for them. Um, and for whatever reason, I don't know, I don't know if it was the virus or whatever, but for whatever reason, their economy was worse than normal. And we weren't we weren't sure we could fill a bunch of classes. Let's just put it that way. Okay. But in in South Africa, one of the things they do as a show of I don't know affection or respect or whatever you want to call it is they they want you to have their shirt, and that's one of the ways that they show friendship and all the rest of it. So Garrett was the first one to give me a shirt, and I wore it on the range days. It was the only reason why I've got it on. All my other jerseys are dirty. Otherwise, I'd, I'd have one of mine on. Okay. Now, has the uh, the apocalypse affected uh, classes for you? We're having a much better year than I was expecting to have. Um, okay. We we're doing less classes than the year before, but uh, there's it's not like I'm going a month without traveling. Um, the people that are serious about it, number one, they probably have a stockpile, so they're not. I mean, they're they're feeling it, but they're not feeling. You know. When, when you consider 10,000 low on primers, you know, most people consider 2,000 low on primers. Most of my people consider 10,000 low on primers. Um, and no, I mean, we've, we've modified the round count a little bit. So, you know, whenever we go to a class, we can moderate the round count either for the individual or for the entire group. Because for the intermediate to advanced shooter, there's more important things than being able to hit the target. We consider that kind of a given. But if they've maxed out running fast and shooting fast and need to learn how to blend those two together, you don't need a lot of ammo to work on that. And you can do a bunch of it in dry fire. Now, a lot of your casual shooters used to rate the class on round count. Like my two-day class has a probably a lower than average round count at 650. And that's because I want to make sure you learn something every time you pull the trigger. And we may not need to shoot a thousand rounds over two days to learn that, you know. The guy that I work with today, I just got done at five. Um, he shot 900 rounds, 
and he learned something on every single round that he fired, and that's that's the goal. So you had a guy come into the range there and do a, a private lesson with you? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I love doing those. That's the reason why, why we bought this house. Um, right. We came out here and... Yeah, we, we came out here and, and, and looked at the house, and the house is okay. It needs needs some fixing up. It's a 30-year-old hand-built house, but there's a baseball field-sized plot of land at the bottom of the hill that looks like God created a shooting range. I mean, we went down there, we were like, oh, my goodness, this this is perfect. So it was like a field of dreams type moment, like if they you build it, they will come. Do you guys know about they that story? You know, Do you guys know how the range, how the range occurred? Yes, uh, oh, no. patches. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Back to Bill Dolan. So, so, we, so we we bought the house and we're dead broke, and because we spent all the money on all the money on on the down payment, and we have this baseball field that needs a berm. So, my buddy Bill Dolan had sent me. I don't I don't have one laying around handy, but he'd sent me. Uh, well, they look just like this. It said, instead of Van Halen Diver Down, it said Steve was right, get to work. And <laughs> he's, he sent me a hundred of them. And I was telling my wife, I thought, you know what? If I could sell these patches, because I got a hundred of them, I could probably re- arrange the three grand I need to rent the bulldozer. Because I had a friend volunteer to come do the work, but I had to rent the bulldozer. So for 25 bucks, you got the patch and a certificate that was signed by all of us. And then for 50 bucks, you get the patch and $100 off a range session, right? So you get a little certificate for that. We sold out of those things in about a day and a half. And my wife said, this is the dumbest idea you've ever had. This is never gonna work. And I just, I had this feeling that people would support it because they've been with me through all this stuff. And I had a feeling people would support it. And they did. And we sold those 100 patches. Uh, we, we hand, and the first 50 certificates have a pretty obvious typo. I, was, I cranked it out so fast, there's a pretty significant typo on the certificate. Um, but yeah, that, that's why we have a ranch. Wow, okay. I knew you had sold the uh, patch. I didn't know the exact backstory behind it, so that's good. And we, we never talked about it outside the podcast. So like I didn't do a big Facebook post. I did a pretty emotional podcast. We did uh, Standing on Top of the World by Van Halen, which is a Sammy song. I'm a, sorry, I might, I might get a little emotional here. The first line is, I know you believed in me. That's all I ever need, right? And that's, that's the whole thing. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional here. Bear with me. But those hundred people came out of the woodwork and supported this little dream. You know, 25, 50 bucks isn't much, but over a hundred patches, it adds up pretty quick, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And voila, there you go. That's awesome. Yeah. Very, very big deal for us. Heck yeah. All right, change the subject before I get choked up. All right. You never need to feel bad about being emotional because Dave knows Huggy and I are very emotional guys. We cry at the drop (laughs) of a hat. All right. <laughs> now, oh yeah, trust. Me. I cry real easy because you know they make uh, fun of me all the time. Do you ever just slap so, them in the face for it, just, you know, so they'll stop? You look like a pretty big guy. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just like that's why I got the name Huggy Bear because I'm just a 
big guy, but a soft, cuddly cool. guy. You know, very, very soft. Very you know? cool. He, he played uh, football in the World Football League. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that. Back in the early 80s, 90s, um, there was a World Football League. Uh, it was over in Europe, um, and uh, it was like Germany, uh, Spain, England, uh, that had football teams. So basically, it was kind of the farm league for okay. the NFL. So it was more or less if you had a contract you could go over there and play so that way they kept the rosters down but yet you still were playing you know so that they could you know keep you in shape or if they said hey you just need some more reps to kind of get better um that's where they sent you so you had you know actually two places you either go play the canadian football league or you play over in europe so I got the opportunity to play for the Frankfurt Galaxy, so I took that opportunity and went over there. And, and how, how confusing so. when you showed up and it was it was a soccer match. Was that a big problem for you, or did you just adapt? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you would know. You want to know something funny? They love American football over there. They were just crazy. And uh, when I got there, that was one of the biggest things that you know they were like, "Hey, look, let me kind of explain something to you." You know. You are an American athlete, okay, coming over here. We need to make sure that when you, um, there's going to be quite a few women that are going to be attracted to you. You need to make sure you protect yourself because they want to go back to the States. (laughs) So, so, but yeah, I had a good time. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I probably have CTE from it okay. now. <laughs> and how many kids do you have, Huggy Bear? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good question. Yeah, none that he one that he admits to. Okay. Yes, yes, I know one. So you know, going back to music, uh, a lot of people don't know this about BB King. You know BB King, right? BB oh, yeah. King oh, yeah. had hundreds of children. Maybe not hundreds, but dozens. Oh, yeah. And paid for every single one yes. of them to go to college. That's pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. We I wanted to make sure that they all got an education. Yeah, I know. I'm in the wrong field. I don't know if I told you, <laughs> but all three of us work for the okay. fire department. So uh, we're all firefighter paramedics. So, yeah, I can't afford it. <laughs> so before we get in, hot and heavy into the training stuff, who came – was it your idea to come up with the uh, dream team concept of Jay Beal, Mark Sue, Garrett, John Evans? Yes. So. Okay. How did how did you dream that up? What what came about there was uh, I met Jay at a class in Maine. And I didn't I didn't know a lot about Jay, um, and when I met him, he one of the first things he said to me was, "He's." he's I don't know if shy is the right word, but he, he's a whole lot different now that he's become a lot more well-known. But he was very soft-spoken back then, and I, I suppose shy might be the right word, I don't know. But he told me about how he'd been following the stuff and made grandmaster and all the rest of it, and he goes, Steve, I, I didn't think I could learn anything more from you in a class than I've already learned on your podcast. And the more I got to know him and the more I watched him shoot, the more I wanted to be involved with Jay Beal. So he's probably sponsoring me more than I'm sponsoring him. But what he gets from me is 
the absolute top mental training you could get in the sport. And so technically he can experiment with whatever he wants to do, but he always returns to a rock solid mental process that ensures he'll get the maximum subconscious performance on demand. And so, so he and I got associated. And then when I met Garrett in South Africa, probably the second time um, I met Garrett, I had the exact same, same reaction. Okay. This is a guy with a hundred percent commitment to the sport. He is, pardon me. He is the future of the sport. I want to be associated with this guy. Or in South Africa, it would actually be Goy. Comes out Goy. I want to be associated with this Goy. And then I had the exact same experience when I met Mark Sue. Um, Mark Sue is one of the best I have ever seen at learning something and doing it 30 seconds later. It's it's astonishing. Um, you know, most people you, you show them something new, show them something different. They need a lot of reps to do it. Mark is like, oh, okay, that's the thing. Okay, cool. I, I can do the thing, and he does the thing. And the and Garrett is very technical. Um, if you ask him, he'll give you a thirty-point presentation on what he does. Jay will say, I don't know. I just do it, and it works. And Mark is somehow in the middle. And so that that sort of accounts for everybody's learning style. And to be associated with those guys at, at such a high such a high level, I mean, they're they're the future of the sport. You know, they will. I mean, Garrett already is a national champion. Uh, Jay will be a national champion. If that's something Mark Sue wants, he'll he'll be a national champion as well. And Mark's actually a pastor. Not a lot of people know that. It's pretty cool. Oh yeah, Jay made a big splash this year or last year at nationals. So. Uh, fifth, first time ever at nationals, correct? That's correct. Yeah, uh, that was pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've talked about him on a, a few occasions. We'd love to have him on the show at some point, but that's we can. Time. I'm sure we can make that happen. But he do okay. not ask him his specific practice schedule because he won't tell you. So don't ask him. He'll tell you what he does, but he won't tell you how much he does it. Oh, and that's okay. okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, I tell the guy the same thing. I was like, don't ask me my practice schedule. <laughs> I should stop making mine uh, public knowledge then. Maybe that'll help me. Well, I don't uh, think I don't think people would, would believe it anyway. Like like when whenever you talk about making grandmaster, that isn't a question of, of months or years, that's a question of hours. And those hours can be acquired in as few months or as few years as you're willing to trade whatever else you're doing. Um I, I was dry firing two to four hours every night, and I don't think people believe that, and that's okay. But that's the truth. Right, you were driven. So, I, I know you're big on sooner rather than quicker. Uh, we even did uh, the drill, moving from the the six foot movement drill from one box to another, where you shoot, move, and then leave as soon as you can and start shooting as soon as you can when you get in the other box. Um, now I'm even, I'm starting to see on Instagram where people are beginning to, let's say their start position when they draw, they're static, they're gonna shoot, but I've noticed they're starting to even put their foot out, extend it in the direction they're going to travel to the next position 
um, which I thought was pretty interesting because it's like everybody's trying to find a way now to move sooner rather than quicker. Yeah, it's a lot easier to do. And you probably noticed in your class that it's a phenomenal equalizer between age and physical fitness, right? Um, it, it's not necessarily, well, for starters, it's, it's never the youngest, fittest person who gets the biggest game. And that's right. somewhat understandable. But it's not always the youngest, fittest person who has the best time. And a lot of people who are older, particularly if they're not super physically fit, they're like, well, I'll never move around, so this, is, this, is, this sport is plateaued for me. But when you show them how to leave sooner and shoot sooner and show them the amount of time that can be saved, it's astonishing. If I had known that when I was when I was a national competitive grandmaster, there's no doubt I would have achieved my goal of a top 10 finish. I just didn't know. Right? I was running fast and shooting fast. And I thought that was all I could ever do. I didn't know about doing stuff sooner. Yeah, it definitely, um, it definitely makes a difference. I've tried incorporating it into my dry fire, especially doing the um, drill. I don't remember what you call it now, where you start in one position, move. It, it's um, shooting while moving, but you go like six feet to the right, then six feet backwards, six feet to the left. So you're doing a big box. Mm -hmm. uh, that definitely made a difference for me when I incorporated that into my dry fire for sure. Sure. So if, if all we have to do is look at what the sport requires, and there's a whole chapter in, in my third book, Get to Work, it just makes a little list of what the sport requires. And it doesn't require much if you think about it. You know, fire an accurate shot under any condition, including while moving. Okay, let's learn to do that. Speed mode. So this is a, this is a long one, so it's almost a dissertation. Because I got I got to throw it all out there for you and see what you what your thoughts are here. Um, breaking down between speed mode and and match mode, um, I find that I actually break my speed mode down into stupid fast initially, just to see how fast I can literally. Basically, your your phrase of um, the limit of human function just to see how fast I can move the gun around from target to target. I'm not pulling the trigger, but I'm just moving as fast as I can, as quickly as I can. Then I'll do the actual speed mode. So I go from stupid mode to speed mode uh, into match mode. But my, my question is, like, how I've noticed that when I'm trying to do speed mode, I tense up. I don't necessarily tense up in match mode, but I do in speed mode. Does that just go away eventually with more and more practice, or, or is there a way to try to relegate that tenseness out and be more relaxed? Sure. So tension is usually caused by trying to go fast, obviously. Okay. And I believe that the more time we spend at the limit of human function, the less tense will be. The body is not able to maintain that tension for an extended period of time. So if, if you were trying to do, let's say you were trying to dry fire El Prez in under three seconds, okay? Your body won't stay tense for 30 minutes. It can't, right? It wears out. So 
I, I think a lot of that goes away. Um, gosh, I, I could talk about this for 45 minutes. I'm trying to keep it, you know, kind of succinct. Um, okay. Let's just say that we stay in the limit of human function long enough for it to be normal. The tension goes away. Does that okay. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of like the first time you take your mom's car out and go 100 miles an hour. You're, you're watching it. You're watching it go up to like 85, 95. We're gonna make it. Hope we don't die. And you're 100. Oh, that's we made it. And the next time you go out and do it, you floor it. You're going 100 miles an hour. No big deal, right? It's kind of similar to that. Once we know what the limit of human function feels like and becomes normal, that tension usually goes away. Okay. And the All reason right. you, the reason you don't experience it in match mode is you're no longer trying to go fast. Your goal is to leave only acceptable shots, including makeups or fill-ins in South Africa, without consciously slowing down. Okay. All right. Do any of you drive the, the ambulances ever? Mm-hmm. So if I, you're in yeah. traffic, you don't necessarily have the option to slow down, but you do need to pay more attention to what you're seeing, right? You know, you can't, you can't necessarily take that rig down from, I don't know what the speeds are, from 50 to 35, but you can pay more attention to traffic, and you can watch a little further ahead. Right, so you can pay more attention without slowing down. You're basically acclimatizing yourself to those extreme conditions, so so match conditions are more. Amazing. Well, so what happens is, in a, if we train at the limit of human function, and then we let our vision dictate how fast we actually pull the trigger, you'll always be as close to the limit of human function as visual conditions allow. There you go. But if we don't train at the limit of human function, and that's not normal, that'll never be available to you. Right. It, has anybody ever shot the, the the classifier, Can You Count? I believe I have. Five reload, five on really close targets, like almost arm's length. Whoa, no, oh, I, yes. I don't think I have, actually. Yeah. No. Leo, have you? Yeah, 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 they did it at Shadowhawk. So Huggy and All I have right, shot that. So, that is an environment where the limit of human function is possible and necessary. Okay? The last time I shot that, I had a 62 first shot. Okay? Ooh. If I don't dry fire at a, at a .6, there's no way I'm going to get a 62 first shot. But with the target that close, it's totally doable. Right? But if I restrict my practice to so-called practical distances, 12 yards, 10 yards, I'm never going to get a 62 first shot. Because it won't happen at ten yards. Did I answer your question, Dave, or did I go down the? You did, yeah. Down, no, you, you, you absolutely hole. did. Yeah, you absolutely did, and it was good going down that side road. That was good. So the mistake I think a lot of people make is they rush, try, hurry at the match, and then in practice they slow down and get their hits. Well, I want to switch those around, right? I want practice to be done at, at as quick as we can do it to make it normal. And then at the match, we get our hits without slowing down. And yes, of course, that's going to temper your speed down from max occasionally, maybe often. But it's limited by your vision, not by conscious control. Right. I, I, think, I think controlling speed up or down gets the vast majority of shooters in trouble all the time. I don't believe we should ever have to control our speed. 
I think the data, the sites tells us how close to limit of human function we can operate. Well, that that's an interesting point. Um, I know you had Christian Seiler on the podcast. I listened to that. That was very good. Um, but he he talks about when he does his walkthrough, he'll say that's a 0.12 split. That's a 0.20 split as he's looking at targets. Okay. So I find that interesting. I don't know if that's just because he's at that level of skill that he can do that. But I, me personally, I would never look at it that way. I'm always just trying to figure out where my aiming point is so I know where my dot needs to be on the targets. So I think what he's doing is predicting what's going to happen based on what he knows he's going to see. Okay. Meaning a, a, a 12 split would be a pretty close target. Okay. Right. We all know that's going to be spicy. But I don't yeah. believe he has to make that be spicy. I think he's predicting what's going to happen based on what he's going to see. Uh, okay, I'm tracking you now. I, okay. I don't think he's saying, I'm going to come in here and rip off a 12 split. I'm I, What I think is happening, and I, don't want, I, I can't speak for him. Because remember, people have different ways of discussing this stuff. But They do. But I know for me, like on, on, on Can You Count, I know that's going to be a spicy draw. I can't tell you whether it's going to be a six or a seven or an eight, but we know that's going to happen in a hurry. Okay. As opposed to saying, I'm going to go here and do a 0.6 draw, which would be problematic for most people. Yeah, absolutely. Probably fumble their gun. Well, that's very likely to happen because <laughs> if, if you take a, an activity that's hundred percent subconscious, like a draw and you drag it into the conscious mind for whatever reason, your conscious mind hasn't done a draw in a long time. So you're, you're taking the basketball coach who hasn't played the game in a long time, and you're putting him in the game. So I got it, coach. You got to go play. Whoa. <laughs> in a long time. Yeah. Um, I don't have it on here, but I also like the – I'm a I'm – a, a high power rifle guy. So I was all about calling your shot for rifle. So I knew what you were saying with pistol, but I really like the, the one connection that you made that really resonated with me was the fact that if you know that shot is good, you can immediately either fire the second shot um, or you know, move to the next target, whatever you need to do, there's no delay. Because I remember the first day when we ran through that, that very first stage you had set up that was like our test stage first thing in the morning. One of the things you had written down on my sheet, which is hanging up in my garage, by the way, um, was that I watched the targets fall. So it's really, I, I if you could just take a few minutes and talk about shot calling for those people that may or may not listen to your podcast and just discuss that real quick, what it is and why it's so good. Okay. So let's talk about what it isn't because in the beginning I thought shot calling was not missing. <laughs> that's what I thought it was. Okay. And that's, that's useful, but that can put you in bullseye mode. So my first nationals, I shot at a very rapid bullseye mode, okay? 
because my goal was to have a clean match. That's not a good goal going to the Nationals, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about why that is, okay? Or why that's not a good goal. You might want to jot that down in case I forget to ask me later because it's super important. But shot calling is knowing as the gun fires where the bullet went, right? If, if we were to go out and put you 10 yards away from a barn, okay, and, bl and, and have you shoot the gun and say, Dave, did you hit the barn? You'd say, of course I hit the barn. Don't need to see much. Okay. Right. Well, that's, that's a version of shot calling. We know we hit the barn. And then we'd say, okay, let's shoot the window of the barn. Well, that requires a little bit more vision. And then we say, let's shoot the doorknob. Well, that requires a whole lot more vision than shooting the barn itself. Okay. The bottom line is your bullet goes from wherever the sight lifts from. Okay. That's where the bullet goes. And I get paid a lot of money to teach people that, right? So, if will this be vo a broadcast in video or just audio? Both. All right, good. So, Both, yeah. if this is my dot, okay, where'd that shot go? Watch it again. Where'd it go? It it looked like it was about on as you're. I'm gonna say seven o'clock, eight o'clock. It went low, didn't it? Mm -hmm. See, mm -hmm. all right. Where'd that one go? It went this way. Okay. So, he, so, I'll, so I'll do it in slow motion. Okay. Here's you aiming. Okay. You're deciding to pull the trigger. This is you pulling the trigger. Uh, there you go. That definitely went low. So as you pulled it, and it happens very, very quickly. And that's that shot calling. Where did the sight lift from? Okay. What, what happens to most people is they aim, 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 they jerk the snot out of the trigger, and they never see that. And if it's on a steel, then they get mad and just start pulling the trigger. <laughs> so, so shot calling is knowing where the shot went as the gun fires. Okay? And... I didn't know that for a very long time. And then when you figure it out, man, it's just transformational. And it's probably the only way to be faster and more accurate short term at the same time. Because there's nothing faster than knowing you've hit the target. Right. Nothing. <clears throat> so, very here's a question. when you don't on steel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yes. my personal nemesis is steel. So let's talk about that for a second. Every time you say that makes it true for one additional day. Oh, man. <laughs> well, here's my question to you. I know that we have a natural wobble uh, when we're, you know, lining up our sight and everything. Um is there any way to reduce the wobble down? I mean, I'm a big guy, like we said. Um, you know, I lift weights and everything like that, but I keep on squeezing tighter and tighter and tighter trying to reduce that wobble. Is there any way to reduce it? or is, I know it's natural, but to, to really reduce it and bring it in tighter. Probably isn't. A problem to the extent that you think it is all right most okay. people's wobble zone 
is about the size of a softball. Okay, this is this is this is a little big. Um, this is way too big. You want a lava zone that big? Right. Um, I like that Marshall like stack. Uh, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Wobble zone, probably about that big for most people. Good job, Dave. Okay. That's not going to yeah. cause a problem. Not a big okay. deal. Um, I can't, I don't know why it's smaller. All I know is the better the shooter, the smaller the wobble zone is. But it's it's never going to be smaller than that, Right. Nobody's got a wobble zone right. that big. It's it's probably that big for okay. most shooters. I know it is for me. Right? I'm I'm a little rusty, okay. but that's that's probably where it's at. And the, what happens to shooters the, when the wobble zone gets them into trouble? It's not because of the wobble. It's because they try to catch it when it's still or catch it when it's perfect, and they wind up hitting the trigger too hard. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. I would say rather than trying to reduce the wobble zone, let's make sure that we don't make it any worse by 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 hitting the trigger too hard. Um, if mm -hmm. go ahead, I, I need to interrupt. Somebody. I was going to say it. It reminds me of your one of your latest podcasts. One of the best pieces of advice you got. What was it? Aiming and stop aiming. Yeah, Brian Enos. Aim. So when we're shooting groups, specifically, okay, aim the gun. Stop aiming the gun, allow the gun to fire. Meaning, once you've aimed that gun, and it's it's true for an A-zone shot or a steel shot, and Leah, this might be part of what's giving you struggle on steel, okay? If we're struggling on steel and we think we need to aim more, that can actually be detrimental because the more we aim and the more perfect we think the, trigger, the, the sight picture is, the harder we tend to hit the trigger, right? So it would look like, is it cool to, to point an empty gun at a, at a podcast camera? That's not a, that's, that's not a. Oh, Huggy does it to me all the time. 100% totally fine, because at least you asked. I know it's Thank weird. I know it's, it's so Thank weird you. to look down the muzzle of a gun, but this is safe, right? Yep. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Huggy, yeah. shot me twice. So. <laughs> I love this gun so much. All right. So. <laughs> too hard for the vast majority of USPSA shooting right there there may be some exceptions but you know I can I can hold I can hold right here and I can do it pretty quickly you know like I can that muzzle's not moving a lot I mean it's moving I'm seeing this but that's not going to cause a problem right. for most USPSA shots okay right what what's what's a bigger problem is if I aim so intently and I don't even have anything I can aim at that's small and I'm not prone to do it, but if I hit the trigger too hard, that's where most of it comes from. Okay. And honestly, that actually makes the most sense because I tend to hit low 
Oh, absolutely. Or less. And your yeah. next solution is to aim more. Well, that actually makes right. the can make the problem worse. And right. Huggy, if you're getting a lot of your grip from your trigger finger hand, that can cause a problem too. I, I don't know that we can grip the gun too hard with the support hand, but I, I know for sure we can grip it too hard with this hand. Because your fingers, when they get tense, this finger can't move independently very well anymore. Okay? But if we're a little more relaxed, I have a lot more, a lot more, you know, you know, a lot more to work with there. So typically, if we increase it with this hand, then not only can we move it a little bit better, but it moves the gun less. Okay? And right. I don't know if we can group, sorry, we can grip as a solution or a band-aid. All I know is it works really well. Right. And it also makes it a lot easier to call your shots. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to do that next time because uh, I, I always feel like, you know, I'm like trying to reduce my wobble and trying to tighten up my sight. But like you said, I need to... I uh, loosen up a little bit on my grip hand. Use my use my left hand as my grip, and then just use that finger to. Dave, do you remember when when we did the group shooting? I do. And I asked him to aim the gun, stop aiming the gun, and allow the gun to fire. And were you shooting a dot or iron sights in that class? I was shooting a dot. And that dot was going nuts, wasn't it? Uh huh. And your group, pretty good. Group was, yeah, group was fine. Yep. So that's that's where you learned in that environment that the wobble is, is only a problem if our trigger actuation makes it worse. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. So, and when people are shooting groups specifically, if they try to catch that, so like have you ever seen somebody zero a dot gun on a, on a paster? Right, they'll, they'll put a paste, maybe a black paster out mm -hmm. there, and they'll, they'll, they'll aim at it. And the groups are typically not that awesome because it becomes, it becomes no, 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 yes. <laughs> no, 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 right. yes. Yeah. And their, their desire to fire the shot when they think the sight picture is perfect causes them to, to, to hit the trigger maybe a little bit too hard. Yeah. That, that is some awesome information, sure. so thank you for that. I'm definitely going to be working on that with my dry firing and uh, the, the dry firing system because I, I shoot a Canik uh, SFX, so um, I actually uh, purchased the cool, fire dryer, uh, the cool Fire Dry Fire System, so using the CO2 system in it, um, that thing is so cool. awesome. So it gives me at least a recoil to work with. That's why I'm trying to reduce my, I was trying to squeeze so much with that wobble, trying to get that, you know, when that recoil comes up, I'm trying to get right back on it as quick as possible, you know, to get that second shot off so I can, I can move. Well, and you, you should know. probably put a flashlight on it. <laughs> <laughs> one of, one of, in, in, in Hubby, are you shooting a dot or are you shooting irons? Okay, so that's iron good. Sight. The the wobble zone on a dot looks so much worse than the wobble zone on irons. That's why I was curious if you were shooting a dot because with a dot, it's, it, it moves a lot more. Well, it, it appears to move more. Let's just put it that way. It's right. interesting you say that because we have 
we had talked about it in, in past podcasts. Uh, Dave's since since Dave and, and I have been shooting together, I'm pretty sure since the beginning you've been shooting a red dot. And and we've talked about Huggy and I, because we, we generally shoot production, um, going to a red dot. And I've put red dots on some of my firearms, and it, it looks like there's an earthquake <laughs> to me every time I'm like, all right, here. And I'm like, I, why am I not? Why can't I find the dot where I Your want? iron sight gun is probably moving that same amount you just can't see it as well exactly mm. yep see i it's didn't just, know that now good. i know learning has occurred <laughs> yep just your natural wobble <laughs> write that down the earthquake is ill in your and head we we brian enos would would be the guy to ask um He's in Arizona. I could I could email him, but I don't know if, if he'd get it. He's he doesn't spend a lot of time on his phone because he he understands it's a complete waste of time most of the time. But I'll ask Brian about about wobble zone and uh, what he thinks could cause it to reduce. He'll probably say it's not that big a deal, but I'll, I'll email him. I'm not, I'm not trying to name drop here. It's just that'd be a great guy to ask. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, do you have any experience with the uh, Cool Fire Trainer, Steve? So I have been approached by every dry fire apparatus company in the world to endorse their products. And I've chosen not to endorse any of them um, because I don't believe that they're necessary. Now, if the Cool Fire inspires you to practice more, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Okay. That is pretty much the answer we've gotten from every GM we've asked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. By the way, not a sponsor. And the cool fire, not the GMs aren't our sponsor. Nils said the same thing. And by the way, when Nils was off the air, uh, he and his wife both love you to death. They think you're awesome. Oh, that's so cool. One of my so, favorite moments in life was when I was at Area 5 talking to uh, Brian from Hunters HD. And Nils came by and asked me for oh. a picture. I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. He says you are very good at explaining things. That's why he thinks you're one of the best. Oh, well, that's... So, remember, I was... You guys may, might, might not know this. I was raised by music teachers. So, mm -hmm. my family is music teachers on both sides going back as far as you want to go. And what I learned... I don't know how... I don't know where I learned this, but... Many instructors will tell you, and if you get it, that's great, and if not, that's your problem. I feel like if I'm trying to explain something to you and you don't get it, that's my problem, not yours. I didn't explain it to you correctly, or we haven't spent enough time. I'm not going to stop until, until the light bulb goes on. And so shooting starts out pretty simple, right? Aim the gun, hit the target, no, no big deal. It gets really complicated in the middle. I like to try to return it to the simplicity of just shooting the target. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome. I didn't think did he'd mind me saying that. So. Did I forget to answer? Oh, is that so, so cool fire? I've known a lot of people who, who love them. Um, the recoil, as I understand it, is not the same. It's a little different. No, it's not. So for me, it, it would be like using a 22. Anytime I try to train with a 22, I make the shooting harder than I would with a center fire. Because the 22 makes it so easy that you can get visually lazy pretty quick. Um, so with the 22s, I always worked 
So like if I'm working center fire seven to 10 yards with a 22, it's gonna be 12, 15 or 20 because I need it to be a little bit more difficult because the shooting is so easy, okay? Um, I would suspect cool fires the same way. And I have nothing against any of that thing, any of that stuff. The only one I don't like is the one that projects the, the light onto the target that's visible. That's the one I want to keep people away from. Because that's Take teaching you. Take the laser you, out, Huggy. That's teaching you, or <laughs> could be teaching you, to look at the target to verify the hit. Now, the ones I do like, there's an infrared one that it's actually pretty neat. You put the screen on the wall, and it doesn't project, but it shows you on your computer where the hits were. Okay? I would support that. The downside is, yes, it's, it's, it's teaching you to call your shots somewhat, but you may be more interested in the screen than what you actually saw on the gun. Right? All that information is available to you in the gun, and nothing else is required. Okay, and sometimes all the gadgets may delay your learning. That everything you need to to, to, to know is right here in front of you. It it reminds me of two things. Um, have you ever seen Tin Cup? The movie? Is that a golf movie? Yeah. Kevin Kevin yeah, Costner. Uh-huh. With Kevin Costner. I don't remember it very well. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I can tell you that. Well, there's a scene where he, so he's the pro and he's trying to get into the, the, the mate or the LPG, the, the, the big, where you get the green jacket. PGA Masters. And uh, he has that mental thing where he just breaks down and he ends up being the guy that gets all the extra stuff to try to like all the gimmicky things to try to help him get better. But the, the whole, the laser one in particular it's just like, and I know this will translate for Huggy because we both shoot archery. It's the same thing when you, you you take your draw and you shoot, and the first thing you do is lift and look to see where your hit was, and all that does is make you drop your shot lower than you would have. And that's that the the that's what the laser makes me think of is you taking your draw and then you look as soon as you release, but the the bow the the, the shaft is still in contact with your rest and you just all you're doing is dropping your shot where you wouldn't have if you just pulled your shot and did it i don't know anything about archery but that mm-hmm. sounds very true yeah <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah so Huggy knows. i i you know i i like the 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 cool fire system just because it just gives me the recoil just gives it gives me some recoil so that way I was, you know, just working on more or less like, you know, as soon as I felt that recoil, I could either, or I should say the second recoil, I could move, you know, I was trying to work on stuff like that of like, as soon as I felt it, go, you know, and as soon as you felt it or as soon as you saw it, I felt it. I wasn't trying to look at the uh, target so much as once I pulled the trigger and I felt the, you know, the recoil, I was already starting to try to move, you know, to my next you know my next target that I set up on my wall um, so I wasn't looking at the dot per se I actually have a uh, there is an app that will track like you're saying the hits and everything like that on on the targets so I'll go back afterwards and look at that that to see where I was but I don't try to look at my shot to see where it actually hit if I put the laser on there because, like you said, I don't want to be uh, coming um, to just rely on that laser going, uh, like, where did I hit? Where did I hit? You know, I want to be able to 
to shoot. And then as soon as I, as soon as I pull that trigger and playing, I want to start moving to the next shot. Like you, I think that's what you were telling in some of your podcasts that I listened to, to, to move, you know, to the next shot. Now, I mean, that's just me and how I digest your podcast. Well, Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It, it, it totally depends on what you're working on, right? I, I would mm-hmm. rather you go to the next target as the sight lifts because that'll tell you where mm-hmm. the shot went as opposed okay. to, and I want to make sure I understand what you're talking about. If, if I move on recoil and this has happened and I don't see that, now, if you're working mm-hmm. on movement, I would totally support that, right? As soon as you feel recoil, get the heck out mm-hmm. of there. But if, but if we right. if we're if we care about where the bullets are going and whatever whatever exercise we're doing, then I would rather you go when you see this than when you feel this. Right, right, and, and I agree. I just was trying to yes. work on my movement, yes, being a course. big guy, being a big guy. It, uh, you know, inertia takes a little bit to get going. <laughs> so, yes, science. So, I try to work on that. I, I'm glad you weren't down in Florida to see that one stage where I think I had to pull the parachute to slow me down. Could have died. Uh, <laughs> I was going so fast I didn't know I was going to stop. It was like a train, you know, running down the tracks, and you had to hit the emergency brakes. And I'm like, oh God, please stop, Deep please stop. Kill me now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I always have a feeling you would probably have to turn away and laugh at first and then come back and be like, So okay. one of the things about, about body size and foot speed and all the rest of that, that's another area where leaving sooner and shooting sooner is a great equalizer for all that stuff. Right? I used to complain okay. we couldn't learn anything from watching Rob Latham videos. Okay? Todd Jarrett is like a caricature of technique. If you want to see a technique... Todd Jarrett will, will be a caricature of that technique. You can learn a lot from that. Robbie Latham, we couldn't learn anything okay. because all he did was he was always shooting, always moving, and he never missed. That's a pretty good strategy. It's just hard. It's just <laughs> yeah. It's just hard to learn from watching it when he's not really shown you some kind of cool, sexy technique. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So. So I, I, I'm going to stick into that. Always moving, <laughs> always shooting, never missing. That works pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's a triple threat. It's yeah. perfect. And he's got a whole bunch of national <laughs> championships to prove it. Well, and when you watch Christian's, when you watch Christian Siler, you kind of see the same thing. Um, outside of a start mm-hmm. position, you will rarely see him do a full formal setup. One of the things he told me is he said, Steve, I can make a 50-yard shot on one foot. What do I need to stop for? I heard that. Yeah. I mean, pretty, it's pretty compelling. Yeah. That and is. I wasted, man, I wasted years, you know, doing formal setups when they weren't needed. We talked about, oh, we need to work on our setups. Okay, well, I did a great one. I watched Max Michelle. I copied that. I was great at that. And I did it on a three-yard target. It's not necessary on a three-yard target. All right? But I only had one tool in my toolbox, you know? It was a good one, but I don't know. When you try to, Could try to use a crescent wrench as a hammer, it doesn't work as great as an actual hammer does. You know, you can do it. <laughs> so I kind of want to switch gears, and I want to start talking about mental management. Um, I, and I've heard your stories, you know, when you went to nationals and, and all of that. 
but what may and I and you had talked about Lenny Basham's book and how you conjured up a reason to call him and 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 interview him basically. But what actually got you to go to his class and start doing mental management classes yourself? So I have a, I have a client who looks out for me very very well. When when the air conditioner went out and I was looking at my whole family living in the heat. Bruce says, Steve, go buy a window air unit. It's like, that's genius. My brain doesn't always work that way, right? Very, very common sense solutions, right? For whatever reason, getting the air conditioner fixed is fine. Going to buy a window air unit to make my family comfortable for, for four days, that doesn't occur to me. I, I, I can't explain why. I don't know. Probably because... I didn't really want a window air unit hanging out of my window. That's probably why, you know. And I worry about it knocking the window out, blah, blah, blah. So at any rate, this guy Bruce, is, he's always looking out for me. And he, he says, you know, it wouldn't take much of a gun control bill to put you out of business. All right? Um, if, if we had a New Zealand-style ban on semi-autos, that shuts down USPSA pretty quickly and, or changes it pretty quickly, Right? Sure does. So he, so he's like, you need to go get certified to teach mental management to protect your business and to give you something to do if something happens to the sport. So yeah, I kept thinking about it. Like, number one, it's going to set me apart. Number two, I'm already the mental game dry fire guy, so I might as well be certified to be the mental game guy. And it was it was his suggestion kind of planted that seed. Um, Huggy bear, are we? Is this a drinking show? <laughs> I don't know if you can tell in the background. I was wondering if anybody else saw that. I am so. Oh yeah, is this a super secret squirrel over here? Is this a drinking show? I had no idea. I'm relaxed and I'm so comfortable with you. It's like I've known you for years. So I'm like, Uh I'm gonna have to. He's never done that before. Never. So, so so I decided to go get certified, and. the the mental management material, whatever percentage of your life revolves around shooting, for most people it's not much, right, in the grand scheme of things. But the impact it will have on the rest of your life is impossible to understate. The understanding a couple of things that we can control our thoughts and we must. Okay? You guys that are paramedics, you absolutely have to control your thoughts. You absolutely, and you probably learn to. And, you know, it, it pro- I would imagine that your first trauma scene is a whole lot of what ifs and holy SHIT, right? Well, after, after experience, we learn to control those thoughts. We're not going to think about a negative outcome. We're going to restrict ourselves to the process that we believe is going to give us the best possible outcome. We, didn't, we don't know what that is, but we do know that this process is going to give us the best po- possible outcome, right? Right? Yep. So, so let's, do that in, let's do that in shooting. Let's identify a process that's going to give us, it doesn't control whether we win or lose, because we can't ever control that. But we can get a process to provide the best possible result. And when your subconscious skill is superior on that day, you will win that match. Okay. I always feel like I've gone down the rabbit hole and not answered the question. So, so that's why I want to get certified. Okay. And, and then the the life changing. I've just so so I gave a presentation in, in, in South Africa, um, 
and this this guy comes up to me uh, after the presentation was over, and he goes, "You have no idea how many how 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 dramatically you just touched a life." And I don't think he was talking about shooting. Okay, hmm. so if we think about the things that we do really well, we possess strategy, skill, and confidence. Strategy means we know what to do. Skill means we've done it a bunch. And confidence means we believe it's going to go well, or we know it's going to go well. And if you look at the areas of life where we struggle, we're lacking either strategy, we don't know what to do, skill, we haven't done it very much, or confidence, we don't believe it's going to go very well. Okay? And in shooting, it's normally confidence is, is what's lacking. And confidence is lacking because we tell ourselves how lousy we are all the time. Man, steel's my nemesis. Oh, great, here's some steel. It's going to be a real crap show. <laughs> well. <laughs> that, were you there with us that day? The, that's verbatim what I said. The best way to get failure is to predict it. Now, that doesn't mean you're always going to get success just by predicting it, but it does mean every time you predict, picture, or talk about failure, you are assured to fail. And you're actually relieved when you do. You're not happy, but you're relieved because your prediction came true. Okay? Damn, that is None of what has been said just now is a the, lie. The picture in your mind is a powerful prophecy of the future. Okay, you might want to write that down. Whatever you're whatever wow. you're picturing is very likely to happen. So let's picture what we want to have happen instead of what we don't want. And and middle management breaks all that down from the very beginning. We have all every thought you have before, during and after stage one. Okay, so let's just let's just go back one more step. Every thought you have before stage one and during stage one affects stage one. Every thought you have after stage one affects two, three, four, and five. And, and maybe the every stage you ever shoot for the rest of your life. So we teach the optimal thing to think about before, during, and after to, let's see, I've got to put this without giving too much away, to make a consistent mental performance under pressure on demand, right? So that's what we want. We want a consistent mental performance under pressure on demand. If you guys took me out on an ambulance run, I would be useless, absolutely useless. And if it was some kind of facial injury, you'd have to give me a barf bag and send me home because I can't deal with that, okay? I don't have strategy, I don't have skill, I don't have confidence. I'd be useless to you, okay? But. Well, you would have strategy. Yeah. I think you'd have strategy. You'd be like, well, man, look at that. Like, like any kind of a, yeah. if I were a teeth sticking out, I'd be like, oh, give me a gunshot. I don't want to look at a mangled mouth. I got off topic. But so, but if, if you set me aside and said, Steve, you're probably going to see some of these things tonight and showed me the pictures. Okay. When you see this, I need you to do this. Okay. And if you do that, everything will go really well. So now I have strategy. I don't have a lot of skill, but I have a strategy at least. Okay. And if you said, hey, here's where, here's where we're going to apply pressure to a certain wound. Here's how that's going to work. Let's practice over on this grapefruit. Okay, cool. We can do that. Now I have a little bit of skill. 
And you say to me, Steve, if you do that when I tell you to do that, we're going to have a good result. I'm already feeling better. Okay? But if you say, Steve, whatever you do, don't mess up. I'm telling you what, if you slip a second, you're going to kill this guy. I need you on top of your camera. Now I'm overthinking it, right? So we learn how to, how to expend the right amount of mental effort and to control our thoughts before, during, and after. It's, it's phenomenal. So, um, so I want to, you kind of led into my next question very well. Um, I, and I don't even know if I should ask it now, but I'm going to anyway, because I think you've already given us the answer, but I'll make sure that I, I understood it. So I'm going to use Max Michelle, Max Leo Grandis, and Ben Steger as my examples. All national champs. Nobody's won PCC but Max Leo Grandis, and nobody's even come close to him. Uh, Max Michelle, the only carry optics winner uh, in the carry optics division, and Ben Steger, like eight straight years as a production national champ. Now they have the skill, they have the strategy, but what, from a mental management standpoint, what is giving them the confidence to be able to? do what they do year in and year out? Is it their performance in the past and they just believe in themselves or, or what makes them stand apart? All right. Short answer is I don't know. Okay. Because I don't know any of them well enough to answer that question for them specifically. Okay. What I do know is a lot of champions are unconscious competent. Okay, what that means is, in, in Max's case, it's probably sheer experience. Okay? okay, he's been shooting a very, very, very long time. Okay, and he's clawed his way up to the very top. He, he has found a way to deal with whatever pressure he feels in, in a way that enhances his performance instead of detracting his performance. Okay, I don't know what it is specifically for him, but I would guess experience. Okay. Okay. Now he he is. Go ahead. Confidence comes from past success predicting future success. That's where confidence comes from. Okay. Okay. And if we are if we're always denigrating our performance, confidence will be elusive. Okay. But Max has had enough success that he feels pretty comfortable predicting future success. What's really difficult is to win your first championship. Ben won his by accident. Okay, Ben Ben has talked about on the Enos forums. He's talked about his buddies told him he was winning. He didn't know he was winning. He found out he was winning, and now he doesn't really have a process to deal with that pressure at that time. Okay, mm. somehow somehow he found a way to to hold it together and, and shoot and win. Okay. Well, now that we know what that feels like, it's just like going 100 miles an hour. It doesn't scare us as much. Gotcha. It doesn't go away. See, most people don't reach the next level because they're afraid of it. Okay? Whatever, whatever it is we're doing, um, if we're a top five guy at our local match, and we've been top five forever, believing we can win introduces a fear of failure that didn't exist before. Does that make sense? Mm, yep. Sure does. And if, if you don't believe you can win that match and you find out you're winning, one of two things is going to happen. 
you're either going to under try on your last stage out of caution or you're going to over try out of wanting to seal the deal okay when just shooting got you where you were going okay right so the so the bottom line is those three examples you've given I don't know specifically but they have found a way to take pressure and turn it into a positive instead of a negative okay See? yeah cuz I was going to expand on that question using max last nationals cuz me uh Leo and Chris we were all at nationals last year and so we watched some of the super squad shooting and after the first day, Max Michelle was down, I want to say, 80 points. And he starts off day two with a second-place finish and then wins every – he wins six stages in a row. So he was never worse than second and took the lead and never relinquished the lead. Sure. So I guess that goes back to the confidence, the past, and going back to his process or something – uh, that was to me. I, I was. I know you had interviewed him mm -hmm. uh, in, for one of your books. So I was like, "What in the world? Where so, did that guy draw from to be able to do that?" I can tell you that. I can tell you. I can tell you. I can tell you. Okay. Whew. I'm so glad he called on me instead of Leo. Leo would have screwed that one all up. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's there's an X factor that we'll talk about when you're messing. done. I'm just messing with you, bud. Um, so. Performance is made up of three processes. Conscious, subconscious, self-image. Okay? The, the people that are unconscious competent, which means they don't really know how they do it. They can't explain it. Okay? What can help or what can get them over that hump is self-image. And self-image means Max Michelle believes that's his match. Okay? Mm. He's, he's earned it in training. He's undefeated. He believes this is my match. Okay? So what happens is, if, if, he, if he has a problem of some kind, his self-image comes in and says, Max, this is your match. This is your match. Okay? Now you go out and you go win your match. And that could unlock all that subconscious skill, provided he doesn't over or under try. And experience has taught him, I'm sure, that over-trying and under-trying are both errors. So I, I, I'm sure that he goes back to a process that he believes will get him the best possible result. And the great thing about that is his self-image believes, but if you do what you've always done, you'll win like you always do. What do I always do? What do I always do? Okay, I, now I know what to do. And if you, uh, if you don't have that self-image that this is your match to win, you're going to over-try or under-try. And after watching him visualize his last stage one year for about 45 minutes, I'm pretty sure I know what his process is. Meaning, okay. I for sure know what his level of preparation is, right? Right. Now, whatever his process is beyond that, I, I can't speak to that. But I know when I watched him shoot, he didn't undertry or overtry. He didn't play it safe, and he didn't swing for the fences. Okay. And that's always top performance. Now, what he didn't mention was that that day before, the first day, he and I spoke, and we did a fist bump, and I told him that he was my idol. And we also told him we had a podcast, and I forgot to tell him what the name was, but that's because I did <laughs> <laughs> a little, little fist bump, and I walked off, and the next day, 
ran away. So with I'm I'm so. I'm so glad that you brought I'm so glad say. you brought that up because it, it reminded me of something that I forgot. Right, those guys, those three you mentioned, have been secretly paying me a lot of money to train them for the last ten years without <laughs> telling me. Got to return the money. Uh oh, we'll have to edit that out. <laughs> no, and and I don't know anything about the PCC guy, but what I can tell you is the the the, the top of the top has found a way to perform without a lot of conscious thought. That's the bottom line. Okay. So here's, here's a question for you. Playing, uh, you know, sports, you know, I remember when we were like a championship team in high school and all that stuff and then college, you know, everybody was gunning for you. So when you were, when that bullseye was taken off your back and you were like, okay, that bullseye is off me. Now I can be me and let's just run this game the way we want to. Then your level seems to come up even higher because now they're like looking at you like, where'd he come from? Because we knocked him off before and now this dude is just relaxed and he is just bringing his A game, you know, to us, you know. So would you say that that might be a factor also that he was like, okay, I got to get that bullseye off my back just a little bit here. So I'm going to let maybe the competition say, oh, okay, Max is out of this. Oh, I've got Max beat. But yet he felt like, okay, that bullseye is off me. I can be me now and I am going to let this thing roll and I'm going to rip through this. And everybody's going to be like, where did he come from? I, you know, I had him beat, but he was more relaxed and more himself than. I, I don't want to speak for what Max might be thinking because I don't have, I don't have any way. Right, to right. Okay. I got no. Right. No and clue. I understand. I understand. That. I, I, I know that I know in a level for me, I'm not at their level in shooting, but I know it's uh, sports in my past that it was like, you know, hey, it was nice when that bullseye was off my back or off our team. That that way we could now relax a little bit and be. So what you're are. talking about, you know, is we've we've found a way to stop over trying or under trying, right? So over trying and under trying mm -hmm. will always cause overthinking, and you'll you'll be thinking about right. the minutia of your sport in ways that you haven't thought about in years. And that's a problem because we're no longer performing subconsciously anymore. Okay, what I think right. happens, right. or what I know happens, the self-image of a world and national champion, when they encounter a struggle, will propel them to do extraordinary things. Okay, because they believe that's their match. Okay, now I do know that if if our self-image is lacking, meaning our confidence is low, and we encounter some kind of a problem, it's going to be like, oh, it's over. Okay? Whereas something happens and the self-image of a champion says, what do I need to do to bring this home? As opposed mm -hmm. to, it's over, all, all hope is lost. Right. Does that make sense? <clears throat> okay. One of the, oh, yeah. oh, one yeah. of the favorite I, I things that I've ever heard Lanny Basham say, he said last time I spoke to him, he said, your next match is going to be won by someone who's shooting subconsciously. That person might as well be you. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. I agree with you. You let that subconscious run you and you go. I mean, I know that sometimes 
when I was playing, I was concentrating sometimes it could be too hard. And like I was over trying to overplay myself instead of playing myself. So um, then I became a, once I came back and brought myself back to say, hey, Huggy, you play your game. Don't try to play, overplay your game. Play your game. Because your game is going to take think, you to the Think next about level. being in the Olympics, whatever sport you want. Mm-hmm. Waking up and going, right. okay, let's just have fun today. How much confidence would that require? Well, now, hang no, on a second. To believe that you could win a gold medal by just having fun, how much confidence would that take? Oh. All oh, of yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. All of it. And oh, that's yeah. why confidence is so important. See, champions believe they can go to nationals tomorrow and win. The middle of the pack believes they mm-hmm. need the match of their life to even have a chance to win. Right. It's all up here. Yeah. I want to I want to change gears again and talk about the journal real quick. Mm-hmm. Because in one of your recent podcasts you said something that I completely agree with. But I would rather you talk about it than me, which is um, if you write it down, you'll remember it, and you'll have that experience to draw from every day mm-hmm. or something to that effect. Can you talk about that real quick? Sure. All right. Leo and Huggy, you guys both shoot iron sights, right? Okay. Yes. yes, sir. How many times have you learned that a bad sight picture produces a bad shot? Why has it taken so many times for you to still maybe not learn that? Well, I'm going to blame that on getting hit in the head too many times. So, that's a great example. If I'm an iron sight shooter, I should be able to learn pretty quickly that an unacceptable sight picture produces an unacceptable shot, right? Wouldn't it be nice to have learned that at your first practice session or your first match? Oh, yeah. That's the power of the journal. Okay, when we learn something and the light bulb goes on, see, I want you to make as I want you to make every mistake you can make with a handgun. Once. That's it. Once. I don't want you to make that mistake again. Okay. So the journal is an opportunity right. to take something powerful that you learn and keep it forever. Okay. Um, have either of you ever won a match or a stage? Okay. How great did it be when you won the stage? When I found out when we were having pizza, amazing. One of the best feelings in the world, right? So if you did a journal entry on that, a good one, a proper one, that feeling would be available to you anytime you wanted it. And if you wrote it correctly, your confidence goes up because your self-image believes that it happened today. So instead of saying, I won a stage three years ago and got lucky, you'd say, hey, I went and walked the stage, I prepared for it, it played to my strengths, I saw what I needed to see, I did what I needed to do, and I won. So the next time, pardon me, the next time you want to win a stage, you got a process that you know could provide that result. Okay? Most shooters claim to want consistency, but they go out and do different stuff all the time. Inconsistent thoughts will cause inconsistent shooting. Consistent thoughts will cause consistent shooting. So that's why mental management teaches you 
what to think about before, during, and after. And the journal lets you keep everything you learn and give you credit for every good thing that you do so you can do it again. Okay? This stuff this stuff isn't a mystery. Well, I'm, I'm, I like that. Yeah. Well, I am definitely need to be writing down my journal from when I beat Leo on several stages and got great gator-like tails. One of, the, one of the favorite things I tell people, so a lot of times we get iron sight shooters that are pretty fast but a little sloppy. Okay? Teach, we teach them how to call their shots, teach them to watch their shots, and then they wind up beating most of the dot guys if they're quick. Okay? And so what I want them to internalize is when I see what I need to see, I tend to win. Now, Leo, how great would you feel walking up to a stage thinking, when I see what I need to see, I tend to win? Wouldn't, wouldn't that, wouldn't, uh, you'd feel better just hearing it. Okay? But, yeah, I'm ready to go shoot if, something right now. If you took that journal entry where you won that stage and you wrote down exactly what you did, now you have a recipe for winning stages. And who wouldn't want that? Okay? Now, that doesn't mean you're going to win every stage. But it makes it far more likely that you will. Okay. Well, I'll just make sure that I see your journal and erase it out so that you can't see what you wrote down. So I can read you. I write it in pen. Now, the journal is curious because the smarter you are, the more likely you are to think you can outsmart it. Okay. I'm oh. guilty of that sometimes. In in my own life, my wife's like, "Hey, you working in that journal?" I'm like, "Oh, man." Nah, I'm good. She's like, wait a second. Why don't you go write that down? And when I do, I always feel amazing. But sometimes we get so smart that we think we can outsmart something so simple. And the reason it works so well is that everything you write down has its impact at least tripled, sometimes quadrupled. Okay? Because if I tell you something and you're like, wow, that's great. That's one impression of that, of that idea. Okay. But if you reform it in your own words, that's two. You write it down, that's three. You read it back, that's four. So now you have four impressions of the idea instead of just one. And that's mm. what the journal does. The journal magnifies all the good things that you do. And you never want to write down anything negative. You know, haven't you noticed when we used to keep family photo albums, I'm, I'm sure Dave has, has kept a family photo album. You don't open it up and go, oh, here's the night we fought for three hours about the dog getting out. Okay. Oh, here's the one where the kid threw a fit and ruined dinner. That was a good one, right? You take pictures of everybody dressed their best and smiling and looking very happy. That's what the journal is. The family, the, the, the journal is, these, is, these are the best times of my shooting career. I'm going to read back here and look at how amazing I am as a shooter. Okay. Very good. Pretty cool. I'm, I'm definitely going to talk to uh, try to send an email to Matthew McConaughey and uh, tell him that he needs to put in a word to the University of Texas to get you uh, on staff there as a professor. <laughs> you know? so, so, so think about this. Teams have slumps. Uh, teams have self-images too. What causes a team to get into a slump? Mm -hmm. The confidence is lacking. Correct. They lose a game. I was going to say hugging on the team. But they lose and they talk about losing and they obsess about losing and they think about losing. And as soon as something bad happens in that game, that's it. We're in a slump. We lost again. What they, sh 
Well, yeah. and it also gives you an excuse because you're, oh, mm -hmm. it's the slump. It's not us. Right. It's the slump. Remember, your prediction right. about your performance is very powerful and tends to be true. <clears throat> and don't we, aren't the things we say about ourselves, positive or negative, generally pretty true? Yeah. Right? They so oh, yeah. if we could find a way to think more positively and behave and talk more positively, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't promise you're going to win every time, but it makes it far more likely. And for sure, we'll have you shooting your potential almost immediately. So you, you have three books right now, Steve. You've got Refinement and Repetition, Principles of Performance, and Get to Work, which is also your catchphrase. Um, is there another book in your future? The fourth book is done. The, That's a the yes, fourth yeah. and fifth book are actually in the same one. It's called How To Now, and it's available as part of the, Anzer, the Anderson Insider Program. Okay, okay, I did see it on there. Okay. So How To Now is audio audio and electronic because everybody wanted, everybody wanted uh, an e-book. The problem with that is Amazon gives you a 30% commission on your own book. That's Think crazy. That. Yeah, that's not a very good deal. So I decided to make it available only on the Anderson Insider Program. I think it's 12 bucks a month, um, which, which gives you how to now, which is, I think we're up to like 18 chapters right now, something like that. It's a one, one to three page solution for any shooting problem I can think of. So there's, I think how to call your shots is a little bit longer, probably two or three pages, but it's three pages, including the audio, how to go out to the range today and learn to call your shots. That's why it's called How To Now. Okay. Um, okay. And my, it also includes my fourth book, which is called Shoot the Targets. Okay. I'm going to give it to you for free. Are you ready? Okay. Ready. Learn to shoot the targets. Learn to do everything else. Shoot the targets. That's it. It's the whole book. <laughs> oh, I got to write that you down. Sign, you signed yeah, my on. copy of Refinement and Repetition with that. Yeah. And you said, here's the fourth book, and you wrote it down. Mm -hmm. it, re it really is that simple. Hey, can you, can you send me a screenshot of that? Babe? <laughs> I, have I will. <laughs> now, here, here's, here's, here's something else that, that I want to talk about just, just real quick. What was the thing I told you to ask me about later because I'd forget? Why? It was clean match at Nationals is a bad uh, yes. So let's talk about that real quick. Because I Thank wrote you. it down. The re here's the reason it's a bad goal. You'll shoot scared, and you'll shoot cautious. That's why. And here's the other thing. Let's say that your goal is a is, is, is a clean match at nationals. No penalties. It's all I want. Okay. And on your very first shot, you pop a no shoot. What's your goal now? Oh boy. You don't have one. <laughs> don't shoot again. Don't have any more. Okay. Find a way but, to reshoot the stage. But won't you feel like a failure? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've already, yeah. your first stage, you've already blown your entire plan. Right. Yeah. There goes your goal right. out the window. Like, now, uh, one of two things will happen. You may calm down and shoot really well because, as, as Huggy said earlier, the bullseye's off your back. There's no more pressure. Okay? But here's what, here's what I want to tell you about pressure. All pressure does is amplify whatever's on your mind. So if you're worried about failure and you're feeling mm -hmm. pressure, you get more failure. 
if you believe you'll be successful. I mean, think about a paramedic. You guys have real pressure. Okay, people think pressure's all in your mind. A paramedic has real pressure. You've got lives in your hand. Okay, if you start thinking about failure, but it's over. I don't want to be in your car if you're thinking about failure. You know, and 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 let's talk about relaxation. I don't want the most relaxed paramedic. I don't want uh, the big Lebowski showing up in his bathroom to be my paramedic with his white Russian. I want the most focused, confident paramedic I can get. I don't want him relaxed. I want him focused. Right? Exactly. And what pressure does, so pressure, it just, it intensifies whatever's on your mind. If you're anxious, boom, more pressure. But if you're confident, that's when you're at your best. Pressure will have you performing at the very top of your game. And that's what happens to champions. Champions have, they, what they're thinking about is success. And so pressure gives them more success. And a lot of them don't even realize it. But you talked about uh, a shooter having some trouble and then coming back. I was at Nationals the year Rob Latham zeroed the Dark House stage. He zeroed it. Then he came back and won every stage after that and won it because that's his match. That's during the time where if it had iron sights on it, Rob was going to win. He knew it. You knew it. We all knew it. So it was his match. It was his match. Yeah. I just need to go into his matches and go, this is my match. Yep, that's it. That's gonna, yep. But that, that's going to do for you. You have to do the work. Remember, yeah. self-image is just one component. What? Okay. Remember, conscious, I'm in control of my thoughts. Subconscious, I have a high level of skill. Self-image, I believe I'm going to be successful. You got to have all three. Okay. There's no, and so, so a lot of times we start talking about positive talk. People are like, "You telling me all I got to do is talk positive? I can win?" No. But it doesn't matter how how hard you practice. If you expect to fail, you're going to. Now, if you can put in the work and believe you're going to be successful, boom, that's it. 333 is a pretty good batting average, though. I don't know anything about baseball. Is that good? <laughs> I don't know. I don't watch it either. <laughs> so so is so seriously, is, is, is 333 pretty good? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So bad. here's a guy missing yeah, two thirds of his swings, and he's considered pretty good. Yep. Great, great, maybe even. Right. What's the yep. best batting average of all time? Was it like four? Somebody hit four. It was um. Ted Williams, I think, hit four something one year, one season. You, you telling me the guy that misses every other time he goes up to bats any good? It's pretty great. Right. Yeah. So, Remember, you, you, it doesn't mean we ignore the negative, but it means that we make our improvement from excellence and not incompetence. Big difference, right? Lanny got a phone call from the Navy SEALs. They're like, Lanny, we're only graduating 20% of our snipers. And they're like, how are you talking to these guys? Oh, we tell them they're scum. We tell them they are the worst of the worst of the worst. And they're like, aren't these navies? Aren't these Navy SEALs? Well, yeah, they're Navy SEALs, but they're terrible snipers. Why don't you start treating them like Navy SEALs who need to work on their rifle shooting? Right? Does that sound like, like uh, recon school? Uh, yep, pretty much something just like that. Now, Pretty much how I treated every student that came through the sniper school. There may be a place for negative reinforcement in, in the military where you're trying to form a team, and I, I, and I can't answer that. 
But if you're a high-level athlete and you're trying to improve, you want to make that improvement from a position of excellence, not incompetence. Okay? I have, I have a client who's the super senior open champion of the country. And he tended to be pretty down on himself when he made a mistake. And I'm like, but here's what I want you to do. Every comment you have about your shooting starts with, I am the super senior national champion. Okay, so it goes like this. I'm the super senior national champion. When I work on my weekend shooting, I'll be even better. Then he'll just be the senior national I will, champion. <laughs> I will have to agree with you because I'm going to tell you from experience, uh, we had an incident or I had stuff that happened at nationals and I was all down on myself and I'm like, this sucks, you know, and I was like, I'm done. I was kind of like out of it. Dave and Leo were like, look, dude, get over it. It's done. Just move on. Let's keep getting up. And I was like, all right, you know, and I did. And I ended up having a, a great time. And I won't say it was like the, but I didn't win the match or anything or win nationals. However, you know, I climbed up and I was like, hey, I had a good time. I learned some things. I've learned uh, what I needed to improve on. And then I know that next time I go out, what I'm going to focus on. If it happens, it happens. You just get over it and you and move on. This. You There's know? some number of things you need to learn to reach your goal. I don't know what that number is. Okay. But every time right. you make a mistake for the first time, you're one step closer to learning everything you need to learn. I'm all about it. I, it's, I say, probably not as eloquently, but I tell the students in, in paramedic class all the time, I say, I would rather you kill my patient here where they're not actually, because they're a mannequin or they're a role player or whatever. I say, kill as many people as you can here so that you know how to not kill them when you get out into the field because you've already done or, or you know how to kill them and you've already done it now you know okay don't do that or do that and then they won't die That's exactly right and your your profession is a great example you can't control that outcome the only thing you can do is control a process that you believe will provide the right. best possible outcome the outcome is yep. not in your hands brother right mm -hmm. at all you can do the best job. It happened with my brother one time. He ran probably one of the worst calls he's ever run, but he ran mm -hmm. it perfectly. I, I had, he, he, get, he gave me the report. He told me what happened because um, he works for us as well. And um, so he went through the whole thing. He said, this is what happened. This is what we found. This is what we did. This was the result. And, it, and it, the, the patient ended up dying. And I said, did you do everything that you possibly could and he's like, yeah. And I said, well, okay, you can't, you can't make people live. You can only do your best to keep them alive. So it's the same thing. You can't be the winner just because you are the most prepared. Sometimes somebody's going to do better than you. But at the very least, like you're saying, you are as prepared as you possibly can be at that moment for when you're shooting. And he'll learn a whole lot more from I did everything right that I could do as opposed to I killed a guy. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. Well, that got right. serious all, all super quick, didn't it? Sure did. It happened. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, it happened. <laughs> my, sorry. It's all Huggy's fault. <laughs> it's always my fault. Nah. But I, I, 
I got broad shoulders. I take. <laughs> my my last question that I have is: Would you ever consider making the song "Call the Shot" permanently available to the public? I think it is on YouTube. Um, I think on oh, YouTube. Oh, okay. I didn't check there. If you go to my YouTube channel, I'm pretty sure it's on there along with a little video I made, um, which features. I can almost guarantee which features right me now. shooting a machine gun full auto during the guitar solo. It's yeah. pretty sweet to be shooting a machine gun during during the guitar solo. Nice. Because I I, nice. I know I made the video for it because it took me a lot longer than I thought it was going to, and I know I put it on YouTube and I think it's still there. All right, I'm I am checking. Nice. And Check you say it right it's now. you shooting a machine gun? Yes. Yes. Are you just looking up Steve Anderson shooting? No, no. Um, <laughs> go to the no, I'm on shooting. his. I'm on the YouTube page right now. So while he's looking for that, I do have a question. Um, and, and please don't, don't take this the wrong way. I, um, Dave, when we were driving to Nationals, I had never listened to your podcast. Like, I, obviously, I knew who you were, but I had never listened to your podcast. And Dave, um, he was like, hey, you gotta, as we're driving to Nationals, he's like, you got to listen to this. So that's when I started actually listening to your podcast. Um, and I think one of the things that... And I forget exactly how you phrase it, but in talking about stage prep and um, you know mental preparedness, and, and you talk about uh, a phrase. Anal strat members. I forget exactly what. You, yep. he, he, I think he's referring to the focus <laughs> phrase, actually, Dave, more so than. Yes. Oh, thank oh, you. Okay. That. Yeah. yeah. So, can you kind of expound on that a little bit? Because I I think I have finally found one for myself. Um, and it actually it, from the Tuskegee Airmen, but can you kind of explain the purpose and, and, and sure. what it's for? What's the best thing to think about while we're shooting? Perfect. How, how are we going to do that on demand under pressure? Uh, I'm hoping the focus. Okay. So we can't, I don't know of a way to think about nothing on demand. Okay. Okay. Are you, are you married? Okay. I am. Next time you're feeling frisky, have your wife tell you to think about nothing and let's see how well that works. Okay. Yeah. She's trying. Now, when I got home, now, what she can do is start talking to you about the bills and the honey-do list. Okay, you're gonna forget about being frisky in about 30 seconds, right? So, so here, here's the deal. The focus phrase occupies the conscious mind if we're not able to think about nothing. And over time, it is a bridge to thinking about nothing. Okay, what's the definition of a, of a subconscious skill? Uh, skill that you can perform without thinking about it. That's correct. And, and what do we tend to do under pressure? Oh, God, like right now, blank? Right. Do what we're trained to do. <laughs> well, well, so, so that's, that's yeah. ideal. But under pressure, pressure right. can cause us to start micromanaging subconscious skills. We don't want that. Okay? So the focus phrase gives you something else to think about so you don't micromanage subconscious skill. Does that make sense? Okay, so yep. it occupies the conscious mind so that the subconscious can do all the heavy lifting, right? 
So, and so, so the best way to look at it is, it it can be technical, but it doesn't have to be. Okay. So for me, I don't trust my conscious mind under pressure. Okay. So for me, it's center the dot, call the shot. Okay. In the beginning, that's very active. Center the dot, center the dot, center the dot. Now it's completely passive, and I literally don't think about it at all unless something goes wrong. Right. So if I present a gun I've never shot before and there's no dot, center the dot. Okay, center the dot. Right. You can't get me to pull the trigger. Um, they gave me a PCC to shoot one time and it had that triangle reticle. Right. So I said, center the dot, call the shot. I pulled that thing up. It's a triangle. I don't know what to do with a triangle. I've never shot one before. So it wasn't a very good performance because it's fighting my focus phrase. There's no dot. There's no dot. Why are you shooting? There's no dot. There's no dot. Why, why are you shooting? It's not good. <laughs> but the focus phrase occupies the conscious mind so that we get subconscious skill. That's what it does. Okay. You said you had one from the Tuskegee Airmen? Yeah. I found it. Uh, I was going through Instagram the other day, and it was uh, from We Are the Mighty. Uh, not a sponsor, by the way. Um, but yeah, it, it was interesting because I actually I put it up on in, at work, um, and it's excellence overcomes obstacles. Excellence is our mantra. Okay. Um, but for me, like excellence overcomes obstacles is kind of the big thing, and it kind of speaks to that. Like you were saying, is you know your conscious, subconscious, and then your self-image of if you're prepared and you you've got the strategy you've got the skill and you've got the confidence you can overcome a challenge All of right. some sort because again you have a strategy you've got the skill and you've got <laughs> excuse me um your, okay your and is that what you tell yourself right before you shoot i've i've or is this or is this more more like a life guiding principle um a little bit of both. Uh, I did start doing it, and then and then apocalypse happened, and I was not prepared. So I unfortunately do that when I'm dry firing. But it's also I think it's translated very well to just regular life, mm -hmm. anyways. So you may be. Um, so yeah. So, so so that one's interesting. We we teach a thing in in mental management where you choose and rehearse how you want to feel during the competition. Think about that. Do you ever get up on, on the day of a match and literally choose how you want to feel? Because nobody really wants to go to the match anxious, nervous, worried, scared, right? That's, and that happens right. because we don't take control of how we want to feel, okay? So what you're talking about may be closer to something like that, okay? What, okay. what the focus phrase is, it's, some, it's the last active thought you have before the timer goes off. Okay, okay. For, for me, I would worry that that wouldn't occupy my conscious mind. Okay, it's it, it it's kind of like some people have tried visual patience as a as a focus phrase. Mm -hmm. The problem with visual patience is it's an idea, not a directive. That's kind of like okay. saying we want world peace, and you're just waving your signs around. What's well, a great idea? How are we <laughs> going to achieve world peace? <laughs> Whereas somebody in the military who wants world peace, he's got a strategy to achieve it, okay? And it usually involves scaring the crap out of your enemies, okay? Make them too scared to mess with you, I think. It's going to go back to Reagan, okay? So the focus phrase specifically is the last active thought you have that occupies the conscious mind. And excellence overcoming adversity may not do that for me.
Now, if it does it for you, I think that's phenomenal. Seriously, have have a cl- have a client in Canada who says time to have fun. That wouldn't work for me, but it works great for him. Okay, because for him, having fun means seeing his dot and, and calling every shot. That I need it to be more literal than that. Okay, now if the word excellence means or allows you to shoot subconsciously, brother, I'm all for it. Okay, because it's different for every person. You know, have another client that says, clear the slate, you will do great. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? (laughs) Right? (laughs) How am I going to clear the slate if I'm worried about pressure? For him, it works great. But he doesn't have as as hyperactive as a conscious mind as I do. So mine needs to be kept under a short lease. Okay. For iron sights, I will see what I need to see is what I always recommend people start with. Okay, Telling yourself to see your front sight may not work because you don't need to see your front sight on a three-yard target. But you need right. to see something. Right? Yeah, right. You need, you, you need, to, see, you need to see something. So. There you go. So, um... Mental management can be done via Skype. It's 250 for three classes. Um, intro to mental management, mental management system. And by the way, that one gets you a 15-point flow chart that me and Lanny designed in his office. After we argued about it for about 60 minutes. You want to talk about self-image? To argue with Lanny Basham in his office about his stuff requires a pretty healthy self-image. And then the third one is mastering self-image change. Okay, so your opinion of yourself is based on your perception of everything you've ever said or done that's happened to you. Okay, notice I said your perception. Okay, meaning, uh, Dave, I'm sure you know I had a small car accident on Christmas Eve. Remember that? Mm-hmm. So yep. very, I controlled that that perception. Okay, I said I'm safe and the car's not damaged. This is great. As opposed to, I crashed the car on Christmas Eve. Same thing, but my perception right. of it goes to my self-image. Right, okay? it was positive, not negative. Exactly, just just like your brother. We, we tried to control his perception of that event, because we can't change the event, right? But And he also learned something else. He learned sometimes I'm not going to be able to save him. That's probably a pretty important bridge to get over in that line of work, okay? Right? Because you can't save everybody, I'm sure, right? So we teach how to manage your perception of the things that you happen to you to build your opinion of yourself and your confidence level. And we also get an opportunity to design you. Just think about this. Leo, how, how excited would you be if you could rebuild yourself from the ground up to be whatever kind of shooter you want to be? Oh my gosh, that'd be awesome. And it only has just two requirements. They're hard to meet though. Okay, are you ready for the first one? Be willing to change. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) So if... I'm still in because I've changed a whole bunch now that I got married. And then number two, we want to do the work. Okay. Why do people struggle with weight loss? Gravity. <laughs> it's hard. It's because it, it's Takes hard. Discipline. 
it change it takes a change in mindset you it, you didn't become fat because you had one donut you had you became fat because you had a bunch of donuts we struggle with weight loss because we're not willing to change and the bottom line is we'd rather overeat than be skinny and we make that choice every time we get a plate of food right and so that's that's the easiest example right weight loss is not is not a mystery but there are a gajillion books about it okay mm-hmm. we don't need a gajillion books but we what we need is to prefer being skinny to overeating is all we need to do that's it and so the the third class of mental management looks at your habits and attitudes as a shooter and rebuilds them but you got to be willing to change you got to be willing to do the work and and a big part of it's pay value right when when we're happily married our lives don't change a bunch if we lose 20 or 30 pounds do they but if we're single our lives get real good if we lose 20 or 30 pounds don't they <laughs> that was a really interesting period of my and life that yeah. provides the pay value to make the hard change okay because now there's something you're going to get out of this that makes it worth doing the work when we're married our, our lives don't change that much if we lose 20 or 30 pounds but when we're single our lives change a bunch if we're in good shape okay and that's the yep. pay value that's required to make some of these hard changes and shooting stuff because there's not a lot of literal pay value in shooting, right? Um, we have to find, a, for example, to make it to Grandmaster, your life won't change that much. If you win nationals one year, your life won't change that much, okay? So you got to find a reason to want it bad enough to do the work. It's different for everybody. It's pretty cool, yeah, wasn't true it? True story. Yep. Absolutely. I like it. You guys have anything else? Oh, yeah, I do. I'm going to go completely left field. Shocker. I mean, this is, this, this, I know, shocker, right? That's right. Woo! Yeah, I'm going left field because I'm curious. DC Comics or Marvel (laughs) Comics? And if so, what's your favorite hero? I'm I'm so sorry. I, I couldn't even begin to talk about the different. I, I have no idea. I don't know anything about that. Me either. Okay. I was just curious if you had like a comic hero that you were like, you know, oh, I like this guy or I mean, this guy's kind of pretty. My, tough. my favorite comic book hero would would either be probably Neo from the Matrix. I mean, you really can't get a lot better than that. See, I, I saw him talk, um, saw him talking Batman's about. Batman's pretty sweet because I like gadgets. And I thought Batman was pretty cool because I love the gadgets. You know, I love I, that stuff's super cool. Yeah. And he doesn't really have a superpower, does he? Like, he's not invincible. Or, no, he's nah. rich. But he's just, he's just a normal yeah. human, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Right. Him, the Punisher, a couple others that, you know. Yeah. I have to say the Punisher is pretty tight. But I love the Incredible Hulk growing up. Because <laughs> when I was growing up, it was, I don't remember, I think it was Thursday or Friday night, it was Incredible Hulk and Dukes of Hazard. Oh, yes. Oh, get, yeah. Yes. It doesn't get better than that. That's pretty sweet. And then Dallas oh, was on yeah. after that. Never watched Dallas, but I did watch the Incredible Hulk and uh, Dukes of Hazard. I wasn't allowed to watch soap operas because they're the devil. Well, I had... I had to add one to that was uh, Steve Austin, the Six Million Dollar Man. 
Is that, that was a few years earlier, but yeah. We have the technology. We can rebuild him. Was that that one? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yep. Yep. They did the same thing to yeah. Huggy's knees. <laughs> so, so seriously, guys. Uh, yes. We, we talked about clean match and all the rest. Of it. We talked about shot call. We talked about mental management. Um, yep. Mental management tells you. So remember, Lanny went out and interviewed every gold medalist he could think of. And he learned what they're thinking about before, during, and after. And then he summarized that. So now we know what an Olympic gold medal winning performance looks like before, during, and after. And if you have, if you have good technical skill, man, it's, it's very, very powerful. Right. Right. I agree. Sweet. I agree. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm telling you. I'm, I'm looking forward to now, like, you know, doing some dry firing and, and just working on a few things and, you know, like we discussed and everything. And I'm uh, actually, I just want you to see right now as we were talking. Uh, I've ready got to that's what right I thought. Uh, Stop, don't shoot. <laughs> uh, no, I got the journal. <laughs> I got the journal. Okay. Got the journal. Got the journal book here. I'm going to be making sure that I uh, write stuff down. Right, and, so you don't have you know. the official mental management journal, and that's fine. Okay? Don't ever write down anything that you don't want to have happen again. Seriously. Even, right. even if you got DQ'd, right. don't write, I got DQ'd. Right? <laughs> I need to pay more attention to where my muzzle is when I'm running to the left. Because that's what you learned. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah. If if you're gonna use that one, I want you to have I want you to have two sections. Well, I'm sorry, three sections. Okay. What I okay. did today and what I learned. Okay. What uh -huh. I did well today. Okay. And then every day I want you to write down your mm -hmm. goal because if you write down your goal every day, only one of two things will happen. You'll either achieve it or you'll okay. stop writing it down. Boom! Swish! Three-pointer! I think that's good. Mic drop! Yes, Beretta drop! Yes, yes. That's right. I would, Boom! I would, I, would, I would drop my Beretta, but Boom. it's super, super loud. We wouldn't... Yeah. And we learned today that this gun <laughs> might be 20 years old, something like that. Right. I know the first thing he's going to put in his journal. Stop pointing guns at Leo's face. <laughs> today... I pointed a gun at Leo's face, and I learned that he doesn't like that. There <laughs> you go. Right. Agreed. Right. Even even though it was on via mm -hmm. stream here, uh -huh. it does feel weird to he do. Doesn't like it. It feels yeah. really weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Especially it does. when you squeeze the trigger, mm. pop one off right in my direction. Ouch. Yeah. So. All right. Learn less. We covered all your topics. You know, I know you. I know you're the ringleader here. Yep, we've covered them all. All right, I want to thank you guys so much for having me. It, it just, <laughs> man, for for a guy that it just let's just say it just it just means a lot to even be asked to come on something like this and be able to help people. It's just I would do it for free if I could, and to be able to do it for a living, I'm, I I can't even express my my gratitude. Well, thank you for coming on. Well, I, we really well, appreciate I, it. I, yeah, I personally want to say thank you. I appreciate it. I can't ask for, you know, any better. Uh, and I hope that our listeners 
get a lot out of the, uh, what you have taught us, and uh, we'll improve upon that. Thanks, So, thank you. All right, I got to go run because my wife's waiting on me thank to have you. dinner. So, until next time, don't be a little bitch. Yeah. Mm-hmm.